Welcome to Space of Justice. I'm your host, Michael Betsecond. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And today I'm joined by my brilliant friend and colleague, Chicano filmmaker and photographer, Bishop Ortega. A Duke Masters of Fine Arts graduate in the Experimental and Documentary Arts program, Ortega's work has forced Duke University's community to come to terms with its hateful start on the backs of indigenous boys through its Trinity College Industrial Indian School. Thank you so much for joining me today, Bishop. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we get really, really deep into it, can you do me a favor and kind of introduce yourself for the audience that's listening? Tell us who you are, where you are in relationship to Duke now, your areas of interest with your work and, you know, pronouns, facts about yourself that you find interesting, you know, just the usual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what is Bishop Ortega? I'm originally from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm currently now living in, uh, in Cary, North Carolina. But before uh, we get to me, I kind of just want to do a, a land recognition and Start the program by recognizing Duke currently sits on the ancestral land of the Okanichee Band of the Sipponi Nation. Part of the reason why we, we do this just isn't to, to recognize the historical trauma or, or the historical past of the area or the land, but we also want to recognize that those people are still here. They're thriving, they're alive, they're, they have families, um, and they, they didn't just go away somewhere. They are, they are still here. Um, a lot of people that I found in North Carolina don't even know... Um, that there are indigenous bodies here, that there are uh, still native indigenous people here currently. So as you guys like that, that they are here, they're thriving. There's many other uh, nations here in, in the Carolinas, not just North Carolina. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. As far as myself, father, four children, have a late bloomer. Uh, I think what, what, I was the oldest, oldest guy in our program, right? Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> when yep. we met, so it's kind of... Yeah, I man, just came to life pursuing art as a career where I had previously worked uh, in, in banking, doing like loans and refinances. And right. my soul was dying a little bit every day, yeah. every day in a cubicle. And uh, when, what was it, back in like 2006, 2008, when the economy crashed, I got mm-hmm. I got released with about 3,500 other people from a pretty well-known bank. And during that time... Um, me and a couple other artists did a mural in downtown Phoenix, and I think it was during that op- during that time period uh, when I got laid off and we did this mural. My wife finally said, "You know what? I, n- I need to let him be an artist and uh, stop stop mm-hmm. trying to fit him in that that suit and tie." <laughs> and it was just you know when your partner you know sees it and you guys can journey together, it makes things a lot easier. And I think after that happened, definitely, um, definitely, it freed me up, and I ended up in in North Carolina. I came to Duke to. Uh, to for uh, filmmaking and, and documentary style photography. I was in the uh, the Master of Fine Arts for Experimental Documentary Arts. I was uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. I, I did my undergraduate work at, at Arizona State University in their filmmaking practices college. Um, and I just saw uh, people I graduated from at ASU were, were, were just doing hip hop videos on the weekend or they were, they were getting jobs in marketing and I didn't, I didn't want to do little do little films or pictures of, of people's merchandise. I didn't I didn't want to do hip hop videos until I was fifty. Um, I wanted to, to tell stories for real, and I just researched uh, documentary programs, master's programs around the country, and, and I saw that that Duke had one of the best ones. And I only applied for Duke. I just like um, I'm older. I have four children. I'm married. I just don't. <laughs> either they're, they're going to excite me and it's meant to be, or uh, I get denied and I go back to, to writing loans for people, you know? Um, <laughs> so, so I put all my eggs in one basket and, you know, somebody at Duke for whatever reason 
saw my portfolio and my application and decided to take a chance on me and we moved to North Carolina. I appreciate you giving us a little bit of a backstory, kind of a how do you came to this work? Because um, I think that a lot of times, you know, the work that you need to do, uh, it finds you. Um, and so, you know, before we get too deep into your specific work, uh, I really want to stop and, and kind of get a historical lens on the Trinity College Industrial Indian School. Can you kind of tell us, you know, from your research, can you tell us that historical arc? Richard Pratt was the general that came up with the, there's the playbook on Native American boarding schools and, um, and how to institutionalize them, how to make them white, make them American, and, and to kill the Indian and to save the man. He's the one that, that coined that phrase. So the attempt to kill the Indian was and to save the man. By saving the man, they mean to make him white. Mm. And, and 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 some and a lot of like the Baptists and the Lutherans and of course the Catholics. You know, uh, part of that was was also baptizing them and making them Christian. Mm. Was also making them white, unfortunately. And it was interesting. I found I found a document from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which says, "Treat them good, but don't treat them too good." Because they'll never be treated like that again. It'd be unfair and mean to treat them too good. Wow. So the Native American boarding school system was created because um, because they knew if, if if they wanted to tame the Indian and and to make them a part of white society, that they would it have to start with the children. So so across the nation, especially in Indian countries like in Oklahoma and Arizona, places like that. They literally stole kids, took them off, took them away from their parents, and brought them into these um, these boarding schools across the country that were typically uh, ran uh, by religious organizations, but a lot of time they were ran by government organizations, and they seemed to go back and forth for different periods um, and during this time. So around um, 18, I think the first one was like 1879. So, when, so by the time Trinity has their boarding school, they're really new across the country. I mean, it's like uh, that, that Pratt, that the Pratt, the one that had the first one, Carlisle, uh, I believe in, in Pennsylvania, I believe was the first one kind of set, set the, the tone and um, the pattern for all the, the boarding schools around the country. And it, and it was to mil- militarize, to strip away uh, the culture, the identity of the native child, and, and make them white, make them Western, make them Amer- make them Americans, so that they could fall in line uh, with with the government's plan, you know, to uh, to spread west. So it was a, it was a total, uh, you know, brainwash and uh, reprogramming uh, places for children, boys and girls, and parents were were not allowed to follow. In fact, there's pictures of of teepees and, and tents like outside of schools and parents just, just missing and loving and just wanting to see their kids. And they're not, they're not allowed to, not allowed in. It was horrific treatment. I mean, like I said, 20, they believe up to 22 children murdered in this system. Molestations by priests, nuns, parishioners, teachers and stuff. It's just um, Canada follows suit. Hitler was quoted speaking about he, his camps were made after reservations and, and uh, the, the re-education of children was something he learned from us and how we treated the Native Americans. It was, it was bad stuff. There's, there's nothing cute at all about boarding schools. During Reconstruction, 
uh, Trinity College is, isn't doing very well financially. Uh, you know, the Civil War is done. Their attendance is down. So somehow the, the president, uh, Braxton Cravens, uh, and the, Indian, the Bureau of Indian Affairs have, have just started this program. Uh, you know, without the Internet, you know, it's hard for us to imagine how information got out. But obviously, yeah. uh, Braxton Cravens was a man of his time, and he knew what was going on because somehow he figured out, well, if if they're giving out money to, to house and educate Indians in Pennsylvania, I could do it too. So mm-hmm. somehow um, he contacts the Bureau of Indian Affairs, creates a deal with the then-chief uh, Joseph Nimrod Smith, and they create a deal, and they send 20 Cherokee boys from the age of 8 years old to 18. Um, down from Aquila or Cherokee, North Carolina, down to Randolph County, where, where Trinity College was. And they were able uh, to get more money per Cherokee student than what they were getting per uh, per white student. Wow. So it was a, it was a five, five-year period from 1880 to 1885. Um, when the boys were sent back in, in 1885, uh, one, uh, uh, Richard Smith writes, he was one of the, Possibly Chief's, uh, Chief Nimrod's son. Mm. I wasn't able to verify that. Uh, but it, it appears it was his son. Writes back uh, to Braxton Craven and says, hey, I want to return. How do we make this happen? And somehow Braxton, um, uh, somehow somehow they, they're able to get two, two students to come back. And two, two, two Cherokee students finish out two more years after the school closes which uh, may have been the actual real first two Cherokee graduates from, from Trinity college, mm. but it just wasn't been, I wasn't able to, to verify that. And it's kind of been the problem uh, with, we'll probably get into a little, a little bit later on, but kind of the problem of, of this story is the, the lack of real archival um, information and evidence, um, you know, lack of holding on to this information. I was only able to find one, one photo of, of these students and it was it was so blurry basically all you can see is silhouette just a kind of kind of a portrait style wet plate photo of, of the campus right, uh, right. Of the front of the school you can see the other students it's like all the students are in front of the the white students included and you kind of see like this in the background and, and and the only reason why i i knew it was them is that it was the caption on the bottom and it was from a a periodical at the time, Cherokee students in the far left corner, far right corner. Right. Right. And that, and wow. that's it. And that was it. Wow. And um, everything else. I mean, this whole thing starts from a handwritten roster of 20 names and ages uh, that, that we were given. So, so, so when you say, so that, that's a really great segue. So, I mean, this whole, this whole thing, what is this whole thing? Is that your master's thesis? Again? Yeah. Yeah. My, my thesis project. Uh, yeah. My thesis project. So, so we were, uh, the school I brought Myron Dewey, uh, actually the, uh, the center for, for documentary right? studies, CDS brought in, uh, professor Myron Dewey, who was the, um, drone, uh, cameraman for the, uh, the DAPL, you know, the, the pipeline, uh, the, Dakota Access yeah, he was a water protector and, um, you know, he, they made a great movie, um, and, uh, they, they brought him out here and he was teaching and they, uh, they assigned me to BSTA, which was really a blessing in disguise. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I got to work with him. He, he taught a, a class on, uh, on media, on indigenous media. And, mm-hmm. uh, and a professor, um, Eli Moyhafer, Moyhafer, I said, 
sorry for uh, butchering your name. He said, um, he, he, he brought us this story to the class. He said, Hey, I'm doing research on, um, and I believe, uh, colonialism and universities. And, uh, and he came upon the Trinity school, uh, boarding, Indian boarding school. And he handed us this roster, kind of a little quick, uh, PowerPoint presentation of the information he had found. And I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. Um, let me, let me do a little further research, see what I can find. And it, it turned out that, that the Duke archive, uh, because every, every couple of years, somebody stumbles upon this Indian boarding school. They just keep a, a folder on hand with some brief mm. documents, you know, showing yeah, there, there was a school here. So, you know, they handed me the folder. I was like, well, this isn't exhaustive enough. This isn't enough. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's where it just kind of, kind of got the wheels turning and it's like, you know, this could be, this sounds like a story that wants to be told of people keep just stumbling upon it every, every couple of years. We kind of got to get this out here, out here. And then, right, I, right. And then I found on the Duke website, there was a story about it. Um, but it was just this, this cute, thing how these 20 Cherokee boys came down from um, Cherokee, North Carolina and saved a school from going under, you know, it was just, just really happy and kind of cute. And then, yeah, when the Nasher did their, uh, their exhibit, right. Native American artist. Um, they had a little thing on the wall, you know, kind of like question, you know, did you know? And it was cool. Right. It was like this cool little cute thing. Did you know Duke had a, had an Indian boarding school, you know? And, and if you know the history of Indian boarding schools in the United States, it's not a cute story. I mean, it's, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing good about cultural genocide, kidnapping children from their homes, throwing them in these, um, basically brainwashing camps, you know, to right. cut their hair, strip away their language. And, you know, uh, one report said 22 kids were murdered in the Native American boarding school system in the United States, countless molestations and rapes and mm. deaths. And then, um, yeah, so it's like this, this is not a cute story. And, and, and I didn't find any evidence that any of those things happened at, at Trinity, at, at Duke. Um, and if, there, if it did, stuff like that did happen, it wouldn't be archived, right? <laughs> Anyways. Right, but, right, 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 right. But there was, there was no evidence. I mean, um, uh, two native things were, you know, because Braxton Cravens was also a, uh, not only did he run Trinity College, but he's also a dairy farmer. So he tried he tried to, uh, you know, be, he was cheap. So he just fed them all dairy products and indigenous mm. DNA, you know, stomachs aren't, they, they don't do well with, with European uh, dietary needs, like, like, you know, grains right. and milks. So it was just, it was hurting their stomach. So they were running away not to travel 200 miles back to Cherokee, but to fish and to hunt and to find the local greens and vegetables, you know, and insects, things they ate at home. Right. Because right. it was hurting their stomachs. Um, so there, so there was articles about them running away, but finding them hunting and fishing, and then, um, and then the, uh, there was one little tiny little clip that says something about uh, a young Cherokee boy breaks his arm. It's the fifth time he's done so. You know, like, wow. that's, and that's about all I, I found about how you know their safety or how they were doing physically. You know, right. you know, and so yeah, so there was there's no evidence. It's just the fact that once. Once you join, you know, this narrative or you're, you're, you become part of the story that like you carry that baggage, you know, right. and I, and I, right. I, and I, and in my thesis paper, I kind of made the parallel between the Duke homestead getting off the hook for being a homestead mm -hmm. and not a plantation. 
right. <laughs> you know, right. like how many right. slaves you have to own and have a cra- cash crop. Bef- like where, where does that distinction stop? Right. You know, and it's kind of right. here, like letting, like, I was like, man, I can't, even though I love Duke and I, and I'm, I'm so grateful. They took an opportunity on me, took a chance on me, gave me this opportunity. Like I can't let them off the hook. I have to contextualize the proper placement right. of the school in the history of the, of the United States, which we all fall in, under, you know, and, and right. so this, like I said, this wasn't a cute story. It wasn't something of uh, just saving the school. And you know what? And if they did save the school, where's their monument and on the Duke campus, right. where, where's, where's the marker that points to that this, this event happened? It's not there. And, um, and so the question became why? You know, uh, why, right. why isn't it there? So how do you feel that your engagement with this story is helping to change the Duke community? Like, you know, you're, you're saying this is a story that was wanting to be told, you know, there is no monument. What about your work is bringing this, this story into the, the Duke community in the like current ethos and really into the, the Durham community as well? Yeah. Well, uh, well, like I kind of going going back that that the fact that that Duke has this history of, of having native bodies. I mean, it goes back to the tobacco of the Duke families, right? Like right. that's that's a product that comes from indigenous people of this continent or this, this hemisphere, right? So right. that they that they grew uh, their wealth on. So, and then and then in the advertising of their product, you know, they used racist and indigenous images to sell their product and then before the dukes you have trinity college which which was saved from going under by by indigenous people and, right. and then in, right. and in today in, in in current times duke duke has has recruiters that go to reservations and recruit kids and bring kids onto campus so we have this cycle of making money off of indigenous products and bodies and and today, what I, I would like the school to, to, to see is it's not necessary to build a monument, but to say with this history, how how do we take care of our of our current student, our current indigenous student body? What, what can we do better? Right. You know, and right. and um, and studies have shown when you know Duke's a research a research school. Studies show that that when indigenous people kids come into these campuses and there's no cultural familiarities. They get depressed. They they yeah. they they you know withdraw back, and they have high dropout rates. So right. so if we're going to go onto reservations and bring kids in, what are we doing for them? Where where are our Native American cultural centers on campus? Where where right. where is our our Native faculty and staff? Where is our Native right. department? Where are our, our centers for sweat lodges and other ceremonial areas? I mean, the right. NASA, the Native American student group on campus, did a great job finally getting the school to give them that room in the Bryan Center. But that's, that should be only the beginning. I mean, right. I mean that, that took a lot for them to do that. I'm glad they finally got that done, and that was, that was all them. And, and going forward, man, I mean, um, there's so many other, like, the, the, I mean, not, not to pin races or people group against each other, but, like, every group seems to have their own, you know what I mean, I mean area, like, but with the history of natives in the school, they could do better. They could do more. And I, what I'd like to see is the school do more, do better. Ha- hire that native staff, give them in their own building, their own areas for for ceremonies and worship and prayers, you know. And, and um, 
allow them to thrive here more than they already do. I mean, students, native students do great here, right? I mean, right. Right. But they can do better, and, and and the school can make it more conducive for them to do better, right? Exactly, which I think is a perfect kind of lead into this conversation that Just Space has been having surrounding the idea of anti-racism in general. Uh, and so, you know, one of the things we've been asking a lot of our um, our guests on the podcast is one, how to define anti-racism, and then like how how do you define it, and then two, how do you think that the work that you're doing helps to kind of lay that territory and lay that track out for Duke to be a further anti-racist community and institution. Yeah. Well, I I think it starts with acknowledging its past Mm -hmm. acknowledgement. It has to come to come to terms and grips what it's been a part of. Right. And then, and then ask question, how do we move forward with it? With, in, in, without just tokenisms or like I said, building a quick monument or, which is nothing wrong with those, but you know what I'm saying? Like just, right, right, just, right. just an, one act and done hire one professor and we're done. Um, right. Like, like how, how, do, how can we uh, create long-term change uh, recognition and move forward um, and celebrate, celebrate also some of, some of the accomplishments of our native students when they, once they've graduated. With that in mind, what do you see the role of the university is with relation to ensuring justice is created, especially regarding things like permanent spaces for Native and Indigenous remembrances and celebrations. Uh, well, I, I said if, if if you're going to actively actively recruit <laughs> those students, right, you you have to create a space where they can be the most successful. Right, right. It's not enough just to bring them here and say, okay, here you go. Right. No, you can't. You can't do that. I mean, you you're bringing them in some cases two thousand miles away. Mm. You know, what do you, and, um, one or, one or two, you know, maybe one or two other students from their, from their, from their nation, from the tribe there with them. Right. And just because they, and just because they're from the same tribe doesn't mean they know each other. Right. <laughs> right. Right. right, right. <laughs> so, so it's like, yeah, I mean, um, you, they have to do more and they have to do better. I mean, it's, um, it's just, it's just the university is supposed to be a place for universal thought, right? It's supposed to be a place where people are from all over come and they learn ideas and they, learn knowledge and wisdom from from all over the all over the globe all all different types of discipline right you know it, they it, it can't be centered just on one you know uh one people group right exactly you know, and exactly and, and for 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 those students to be successful i mean and, and it also it has to change i mean um it, it has to it ha- they have to be the ones that say okay also we we have this past moving like moving into the future with it like like how do we yeah how, how do we become stronger how do we do better right you know well and then how do we see you know one native or indigenous person is not indicative of all native indigenous peoples exactly exactly yeah and, and they have different histories and pasts and right and uh, yeah and then and respect and respecting those those right. differences and nuances uh, that's a, a nuance i think is a huge word so, you know, that kind of gets lost sometimes. Um, what do you mean by that? Oh, just like, you know, it's just there, like said, we're thinking of all Native people as just, you know, from the East Coast to West Coast as just one one people group. Right. Not understanding that there's different languages, dialects, you know, could be all different heights, you know, you know right. physical appearance differences, you know, all of it. 
it's all that gambit. And then when you think of all just one, and you don't get into the weed, you don't get into the nuances of, you know, these, some people have different dietary, some people, well, just like, like, um, academically, you know, like you see, like, uh, especially when it comes to like the science, some of the hard sciences, you see like, uh, evolutionary science or, or talking about how, how native people came across the land bridge, right? Mm-hmm. They came mm-hmm. across from Asia. Well, not all, not all native peoples have that, that creation story. Mm-hmm. So what do you, so what do you do with that? Right. So when you teach the opposite, you're, are you saying their, their, their elders are liars? And, mm. and, all, and all of that is, is a lot of time, especially when it comes to like anthropology or when they, they find a site and they argue, they find remains and they argue about, you know, who do these remains belong to? Right. A lot right. of the time, then the local native population says, no, those, those are our, rel- our relatives. We want them. And science and, and the universities argue and they fight. They know it, you know, it predates, it predates you guys being here. And the nine out of 10, the, the, the tribe's right. They do the DNA. Right. It's, it's their ancestors. To your point of like the discovery feature, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, the school comes in and says, we found these folks. And, you know, the, the nation's like, no, we knew they were there all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think, and I, I mean, and I don't know, maybe this is a, kind of got off track, but this is kind of where, where a lot of universities just, they, they don't respect more than, more than not, more, more but also in not providing a space, but not, not respecting the, the history that comes with native peoples and their tribes, like mm. the, the history of the land, their creation stories, um, you know, not, not trying to understand and just blowing through it. And, and also why, like we talked about land recognitions, like, I don't, I don't hundred percent trust a university doing, doing their own land recognition because mm. they, they have a skin in the game where they may, they may have to give up the remains of, of somebody's relatives. They may have to give up art artifacts mm-hmm. if you know that, that they yeah, found yeah, it yeah. And, and, they, and, and it would empty out their collections. Right. You know, so, so do we really trust, I mean, can we really trust that they're going to be, you know, trustworthy and doing an official land official legal land recognition right, could, right. Could, there, there could be ramifications for them um that's why i was like when i was talking about land recognition like we really got to get with nasa the the native american student body work with them and let's let's, let's find a one that's that's historically you know that's accurate right for duke and for durham you know for durham right because in my studies you know it seemed like the okinichi seemed to be the most um you know, you know, it was most likely that, but I found you know two other tribes that it could have been. Uh, when I when I went up to uh, to Western Carolina University, uh, one of the professors there told me a story about how uh, pre-revolution the British the British sent the Seneca tribe down into North Carolina and chased a lot of these tribes out into Virginia. Mm. So, so yeah, so so the people that were in Durham uh, may have been chased out by the Senecas. So. Hmm. Yeah, so, so it's, it's it's really messy. It's, yeah, so like, so I think the best the best candidate to really find like a true a true land recognition for Durham and Duke would would, would be to go to the Okanichi. What do they have to say first? Right, and then right. speaking speaking with NASA, like you know, we have this information. What do you guys think? Like, how do you, how are you guys doing this? Right, and constantly basically investigating. Like, we're gonna go and we're gonna talk to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then theoretically speaking, if everybody's story, like we should be able to piece it all together 
And there may still be a piece that's missing. There may be pieces that are missing, but yeah. we'll have a much fuller picture. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and for the, for the purpose of, you know, of, you know, like I said, acknowledgement and, right. and honor and understanding, you know, who, who was your first and, and also like, like I said at the beginning, like knowing that they, they are still here. Right. Right. And they're, they're still part of the tapestry of the, of the United States. And I mean, and I think that goes also to the, the idea of the romanticization of mm, indigenous bodies. Biology. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, get the mythos, right. Of this, you know, um, this, you know, uh, the wise sage and, you know, walking the plains and, um, you know, I mean, that's another reason why, you know, a, a lot of Europeans, you know, they, they think they have Native American blood or they do a DNA test and they, and they find maybe they did have an ancestor. Like they get so excited because of, of westerns and you know right. this um, that, that mythology there. But it, but at the same time, like they don't want to acknowledge that there was genocide right by the hands of our government. Right. And and the Native American, the genocide in this on this hemisphere has been going on for over five hundred years. Right. Right. And some part still continues today with the missing and murdered Indigenous women. Right. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's all. I mean, there's just things happening still, and it's just to say that it's just just to just to like brush it off with well, they're conquered people, or oh, they were killing each other. Well, it's just it's ignorant. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not right. it's not true, and it, and and it's and I think it's a passive way that Americans look at it, and and the romanticism helps helps ease their guilt. You know, right, right, right. So, so. All right, so let's let's take a step back from some of these larger histories. I want to I want to talk really uh, specifically about the making of this particular work. Like, walk us through, you know, both your research because you got it a little bit earlier. But walk us through yes. kind of how your research informed the practice itself, what you went and did, okay. where you went, those kinds of things. Yeah. So yeah. So I I started off with with this this roster right that was written in pencil. And, um, I knew, I knew that, that they were, they were used to band Cherokee, but I didn't know if the names were all boys and girls. Um, I didn't want to assume. Right. right. So, yeah. So, uh, so I went, I went to the archive, the Duke archive and I just started pulling boxes. Like I pulled like 11 or 12 of them and pulled pictures and, and documents and, and, um, and, you know, and, and the people there, I mean, they were, they were great to me. I mean, they, they put me in that, you know, one of those special fishbowl rooms. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they, they allowed me to take my take pictures in, inside of there. I mean, they were great. It was just, it was just one of those things where, uh, you know, I was like, when you go to the mall and you see you're being followed around, right. <laughs> like the shoe store, like yeah. you just get that feeling. Like, like if I just, I just picked up a document and held it up, people, you know, they were rushing in. Hmm. And it's just like, ah, oh, just that feeling came back, you know, like, ah, oh, crap. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and it's just, I didn't know the proper protocols. I, I was learning the protocols of that space. Right. Well, and but, it, but it's, I was going to say, I, it, for it, part of it is, you know, if it's not an exposure that you've experienced, like I, the, and this is a side story for folks. Remember the first time yeah. that Lisa had us touching documents and touching these archival materials? Yeah, it was like it was like three million dollars in the middle of the right. table. Do you remember my yeah. response? <laughs> I didn't want to touch. I didn't either. I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. Two yeah. two men of color in here who like we have been markedly told this is a no no. 
Like you never do this. Yeah. It was very interesting yeah. to watch our white colleagues tell us like, it's okay to touch it. And then we were like, no, it's not like, that's not the way this works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 You, you just told me if I don't return this at a certain time, uh, men and brown coats are coming. Right. <laughs> we're looking for right. It, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not touching this. Yeah, we're we're in a room with marble walls, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so you were having that same experience while you're in this fishbowl trying to do yeah. your research. Yeah, it, it, it already looks like I'm in a I'm like in a high high rise law office, right? With the marble walls mm-hmm. and the glass, mm-hmm. and the bra- you know, brass, whatever handles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm like kind of nervous. I'm like, oh man. And it's like, and then like every time I do that, it's like, oh, it's that that feeling you get when you're being watched or being followed around a store. It's like, but then it's like, I just got into it, you know, um, good, good. kind of used to it. <laughs> so, so, I just, so I just got, so I just got, got into it, got through the boxes and just, you know, just, just document after document, just, just not in order or, or just, you know, um, there's a little sentence, like I mentioned, where they said, you know, so-and-so broke his arm. It's the fifth time he's done it. And that's it. Or, or on this date, uh, the the uh, the Cherokee chief came and visited the school. You know, just boom, like what? And, or, mm. and, and took his son home, right? And it's just like, and it's all this like, just stuff, just here and there, just 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 scrambled around, right? And it, and and it really could have been in one area. And and you know, and honestly, I don't think I got everything. I, mm. I'm probably ninety percent, maybe, because uh, it's just, um, yeah, be, for being there, you know, a couple of weeks from open to close and <laughs> I, I just, I just, I just, I had enough, you know, it's like any more, it's like, you know, strike your paralysis from over and out. Right, right, you know, right, I, right, I, yeah. I just had so much of, I had the story. Like I understood they taught them in the basement of the chapel. Like I understood that, you know, they work from eight to noon, three days a week and spent the rest of the time working on the farm. Okay. I got that. You know, like right. I'm, starting, I'm starting to paint a picture of um, how their day was, you know, and, and um, yeah. And then, I was looking because because in a contemporary Native American boarding schools put them in military uniforms, mm. and they and they did that to you know a wipe out to wipe away any cultural familiarities. That's why I'm telling you, dude, you got to bring those back. <laughs> you know, so so you know, so so they put them in these uniforms and cut their hair and and, and made them speak English and didn't allow them to speak their own languages. And and I was like, if if Duke, if, if Braxton Cravens, which what I read about him, you know, he was in the fashion, but he was cheap and he spent a lot of time in New York and he was a Freemason. And I was thinking about this guy. He would have, he would have brought these boys down and he would have, he had to put them in a suit or, or he would have put them in a uniform because all the other native boarding schools were all suits and uniforms. Right. Mm. And I, and I, and I realized because he's cheap that because Duke had, the trainee guard, they may have uniforms left over from from the mm. uh, from that Confederate regiment they had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Well, let me let me try to find any pictures of this uh, trainee guard Confederate uniform that the Duke had." And of course, all the archive had was the buttons, <laughs> <laughs> and, and they somehow misplaced their uniform, right? Um, so, right, right, right. Yes. So, so I'm looking for it's like, well. Man, well, they would have been military or suit looking at least, or military suit looking. So, um, I mean, they try to find these guards, and of course, I couldn't. So, what I so I looked at, I researched North Carolina Confederate uniforms, mm. just a basic one. So I had that as one side, and then I took um, 
contemporary Native American border school uniforms and tried to marry the two to create, to, to reimagine what these boys, young men, would, would have been wearing. Um, but, but that search for these uniforms, which I thought was a, was a key piece because it, it really contextualizes just the, the, the putting in line and, and even like the, the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, like they were, were very clear about putting them in line uh, and making them white, mm. right? To make, making these boys white. Mm. And so, so, so this is what they would have been doing at, at Trinity is, is trying to make these boys white. So was there a, not to interrupt, was there a particular policy that they had laid out or spelled out relative to trying to make them white? Uh, Richard Pratt was the general that came up with the, this is a playbook on Native American boarding schools. So he, so he, he creates this playbook on how to, to strip away Native American identity, culture, and then make a white. And then there was like senators and senators and congressmen that, that, that stood in front of the house and, and, you know, and said these things like, um, like, yeah, like, you know, like we need to breed the Indian out of them, you know, we need to take away their food, their food short, you know, their food supplies, kill the buffalo, you know, there's, there's these things that, that, that our, our country did to erase these people it kind of gets 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 rid of the cuteness right, right um right. <laughs> so, so 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 for me these uniforms were really important to reimagine that I, I had to show uh what they looked like i had, had to let people be able to walk around you know and see them um, so i had one made the size of an eight-year-old and one size of an 18 year old mm. and and so, and part of my journey was I, I, I went to Salisbury, North Carolina, because that's where the, the prisoner war camp was, where the Trinity Guard was stationed for their tour during the Civil War, guarding Union soldiers that were caught. Mm. So, so I, so I went, I went to Salisbury to say maybe, maybe in their, in their museum, they maybe they have a county museum or, uh, you know, uh, I saw that the actual location of the prison. Was still around and had a, and had a museum on site. So, so maybe they have a picture of the Trinity Guard. You know, maybe they have mm-hmm. something I can use. Um, and when I get there, of course, they did not. <laughs> <laughs> and and it was funny was that that uh, I like like where I'm from when when something says it's a museum, it's a museum. <laughs> like North Carolina, it's somebody's house. <laughs> and, and I and I and I did I did not know that. So I show up. In this neighborhood, and I can see old buildings, and I'm like, man, where's the entrance? Like, what? This can't be right. Like, oh man. So I'm looking around, and finally, this guy comes out. And says, actually, ask me what I'm doing, and um, I tell him I'm, I'm a student at Duke. I'm doing, you know, what my work's on. I'm trying to do some research on the, the Trinity Guard and the prison here. And like, I was, oh, okay. And so he invites me on his property. He starts telling me about the true history of the South. Right. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he starts giving me the history and I see his Confederate flag and he tells me the true history of the real flag and all this stuff. And, and I'm just, I'm not, I'm just learning. I'm just trying to, you know, get his point of view and hear him. And of course he tells me about his proud German heritage and all this stuff. And, and, um, and then finally he says, you know what? I, I really don't know anything about or don't have any idea what, what the uniform for the Trinity Guard would have looked like, but there's a uh, there's a, a store on Main Street just in, you know around the corner, and the 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 woman's name gives, gives me her name says um, she recreates period clothing and costumes and 
and uniforms, she may know. If anybody knows, it's her. So I, I leave. I leave. He's like a block away from Main Street. So and 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 I wanted to when I went on location to to not drive but walk around and kind of feel the location and maybe feel what these kids felt or saw. You know, mm-hmm. I just I just wanted to get a sense of the geography because mm-hmm. uh, you know because really um, just like it would have been alien. Uh, to the Cherokee boys, it's alien to me coming from Phoenix. Right. Like I'll, I'm used to desert cactuses and sing for miles. Right. Right. <laughs> you right. know, not, not trees. Like I had, I had no idea there was so much water on this, on this continent until I came over here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, so I wanted to feel that was, that's kind of part of my protocol was I want to feel what, what they may have felt. And, and the second I want, like I say, so Hey, I just head North, I guess. And I get to main street, it's like a block. And I make a I make a right towards towards the shop. He, he explained where it was at. All of a sudden, this this police officer on a Segway pulls up behind me, <laughs> and I see him. I see him in the corner of my eye, and I go, oh crap! So so I knew like like don't acknowledge him because then it's gonna then he's gonna talk to me. You know, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so so I so I walk into the store, and he kind of just I see him kind of go by. And I talked to the lady and, you know, there's people in there who are in costume or period clothing. I, I shouldn't say costume, period clothing, right? It's real to them, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, 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 yeah. So anyways, um, so I, I wait for her to help some people. And, and um, yeah, it's a total, like, period store, man. Like, there's just. Wow. Everything, everything's there that, that would have been there in 1880. And I talked to her. I introduced myself. I, I say my name is Bishop. And I, and uh, I tell her what I'm doing. Not, I don't tell her about. The boarding school. I tell you about. I'm researching the the, the Trinity Guard, and that. Um, and then, yeah, and then I tell her about the uniform and what I'm doing. And I tell you, I want to marry the two and figure out a way to to reimagine what these things will look like. And she's all right. Yeah, let me. Uh, you have a business card or anything? And you know, we can email and we can start working on something together. And I, I said, cool. Yeah. So I, I hand her my my MFA EDA, you know, uh, uh, business card they gave us. And it, it has my name on it. She goes, "Oh, Bishop," or, "Or are you Mexican?" And, and I said, "Yes, I'm Mexican." <laughs> and, and she's okay. And she kind of just and she was done talking to me. She's like, "You know what? You should probably go to the county uh, museum and and over there, uh, they they if anybody knows, they'll know." So I left the store, and as soon as I walk out, and she tells me. The, the block down, and then this does the opposite side of the road. You can't miss it, the the county museum. So, oh, cool. So I, I left the store. The second I leave, that guy, that cop on the Segway is right on my butt again. He's literally like two feet from me, behind wow. me, following me. He follows me like a block across the street, and then and then I go I go uh, into the museum, and I, and I talk to the, the curator, the guy in charge, and he was a real nice guy. I mean, we talked for like an hour and a half. I mean, uh, he he said uh, he had heard of the Trinity Guard, but um, there was a time where, where I guess after the war, they burnt all the uniforms or something. Mm. So it's probably his guess that they were all burnt um, in this burning. And he says, but the person that 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 uh, loaned us all of the artifacts or all of the um, memorabilia from the prison owns – <laughs> owns the uh, what was it like a uh, uh, antique store by by the Cheerwine factory and you know and gives me directions. 
right? So it's like, you know, like I said, I, I wanted to walk around anyway. So I'm like, cool, right. man. I, you know, I'll walk, I'll walk over there. And the second, the second I, I step out onto the sidewalk, I hear from behind me, oh, there you are. Wow. And it was a cop in the Segway. So there you are. And I was like, ah. And then so I was like, man. And then I see, I see ahead a, a, a squad car pull in. So I just, so I just, I make a joke. I was like, you know what? I always thought those, those Segways should have like a throw net button on them. So when you guys are chasing bad guys, you can just hit the button and the throw net grabs them. And the guy starts laughing. He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and then he just, fought, and, then, and then he just kind of just let me walk away. Like, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm getting in my car. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm making these people nervous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I get in the car and, I, and they had nothing. So anyway, to, lock, to make a long story even longer, um, <laughs> yeah, it just, it just kind of what I, what I felt was kind of that, that, that racism in the South that's like hospitable and nice, mm-hmm. like being called sweetie and sugar, sugar, you know, and like, um, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, like yeah, being yeah. welcoming, but like at, at a far, like, like, so I was like, like maybe help, help me like understand and feel that these boys were, were brought down, but they weren't really wanted there. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like it's just kind of that, that racism. Cause like, and it shows like in Arizona and Phoenix, like racism is more abrupt in your face. Like you see it coming cause there's nothing right. real. Cause you can see it for a mile. Like here it's like, it's like, it was like, it was like, it was softer. It was just like, it wasn't as abrupt. Right. And, and I was like, man, like, yeah, and then just just that loneliness, just feeling the feeling of being other and, and not being from there, yeah, like not not belonging, yeah. It's from that. It's like, man, this is what they must have felt, you know, walking into the church on a Sunday and you know, yeah. you know, having to sit in the back but not being being able to come up front, you know, just stuff like that, like just being stared at, mm. you know, just, you know what I mean. But also Analyze. happy to see, analyze, yeah, researched, stared at sterilized put back on the shelf yeah and and yeah that menagerie i'm glad you're on my shelf yep yeah so yeah so being able to feel that and that's what kind of what i felt and i was like so so it helped me to contextualize and really think about kind of what they were going through being two and 200 miles away from their land from 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 their homes being around people they don't know eating food that's foreign to them right learning a language that's foreign to them um having to be put into these scratchy bull uniforms that, you know, probably didn't fit right. Um, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah. so yeah, so, so it took me and then, and then from there I went, I went to the Randolph County library and met this, this really cool guy named Mac in the, in, in the basement of the library, their archives. And he just, just threw books at me. He didn't even know he had <laughs> <laughs> on, Trinity, on Trinity college. I mean, we had a good old time, man. That guy, Mac was good. He was a good guy. We just went through stuff, and and um, and it, and it really made me think too. And and where when I brought up not knowing how much to trust the universities, is that he 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 was showing me this book. I mean, and he threw it on the table in front of me, and it, it had to be. I know most people don't know what a phone book is anymore, but <laughs> it had to be like like the two phone books, right? right? Big, this huge book of a survey that happened. I don't know, like in the eighties of like 6,000 Native American artifacts that were found on a reservoir built they were going to do in Randolph County. Mm. They found over 6,000 like, like items from like, like a quarter, quarter of a mile dig, the survey. Mm. And, and UNC came, took all the artifacts and shut it down. 
Mm. So, so and, and 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 the guy told me well, last I heard they're, they're in the basement of the pharmacy department. So <laughs> so it's like so it's like what do we? Um, he could have been wrong, but that's just what you know he was told. Yeah, yeah. But still, just so so the 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 history and the proof it's here. It's in the ground. I mean, it's 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 all around. Right, it's just right. being buried. Right. Being buried, it's being buried in basements. You know, it's being it's in people's private collections. It's, mm. it's um, and and we trust that they'll give it up, or you know what I mean. Like, so, right. yeah, right. um, so yeah, so so, but anyways, but then, but also, and then when I got to Randolph County, which is where Trinity College was located, uh, just seeing, just seeing like the the old school's not there, like where right. Where the, where the where the boys they stayed with the Braxons, um, and then the the farm, and then the the barn that they would have worked they would have worked more because an industrial school really means free labor. Mm. They were yeah 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 they got to learn like how to shoe horses, sub blacksmithing, you know, carpentry work, how to farm um, the European way. He's t- telling right. me natives didn't didn't know how to farm right? Can you right, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> so grow tobacco. Yeah. Um, anyway, so. Um, so, yeah, and so they learned they learned these skills that yeah, as as the country is becoming more industrial and modern, that they could they, they could use. I mean, and that's that's kind of the messiness of boarding schools that there are there are indigenous people that had great time. Yeah, they they, they weren't they weren't abused. That they they actually learned, did learn a skill a trade that they took and, and made them and they had comfortable lives with that skill. Right, right. But it, it doesn't take away though, right? Right. Like, um, and 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 I and I and I had that in the back of my mind too when when doing my work was was I I didn't I didn't want I didn't want to smudge them I didn't want you know what I mean I didn't I didn't want to uh, dishonor them those people who who have that feeling towards the boarding school they went to right 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 yeah uh, it is messy yeah. you know well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, messy. it's to the point that there are things that we talk about all the time that nothing is all good and nothing is all bad even if it feels like it should be. There are silver linings. So prime example, we're in the middle of COVID right now. And so for me, an example of a silver lining to COVID is that I've gotten to spend a ton of time with my partner that I've never gotten to spend. You know, that's, that's, that is a messy feature to COVID. So I can only imagine that, you know, that's a small, small version of the messiness of, you know, a, a, a good experience at a place that is supposed to be, you know, Atrocity, atrocity inducing for you, like trauma inducing. For you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, no, I, I'm I'm intrigued um, a lot about kind of the roundabout nature of having to piece this together. Like, you know, not not only were you in full like investigative mode, but you are effectively having to pull from the ground you know, you're waiting, you're like, you've planted and now you're waiting for the harvest to come in and you're like pulling from the ground. It's that kind of labor. The, the uh, remnant of this story, even down to the fact that like, you know, the school itself is not standing anymore. What, or what was at that space where the school is standing now? Uh, there's, a, there's a bell. It's like the church mm-hmm. bell for the school mm-hmm. uh, and a gazebo over it. And then there's a historical marker that has like four different schools that were, or that were there at the same time too, wow. but it does not have the Trinity uh, College Indian uh, Industrial Boarding School on it, huh. 
which is <laughs> so yeah. So so it's just racist. It's gone. It's not there. Uh, where the where the boys slept at night, and you know they stayed with the Braxtons. That place, the, those houses are gone. Do you do um, you think there's a reason for why that would have been left off? Um, uh, that, that guy Mac, he he had before a lot of the homes were destroyed. Uh, he was trying. He took pictures of them. In fact, he literally wrote the book on the missing buildings of <laughs> Randolph <laughs> County. <laughs> um, um, so, so he just said it's something they did. They just got rid of it. and and but having to do with like why the boarding school is not there. It's it's just not known about. I mean, um, a lot of people don't know there was a boarding school there. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I I went up to uh, to Cherokee, North Carolina, and and um, I spoke with a lot of Eastern Band Cherokees, and and they didn't know. Mm. They had no idea. Um, so it's just something like it was this like blimp in history, five year blimp in history that um, I just kind of literally got got forgotten by everybody. Wow. So yeah. So I guess you know to this idea of remembrance, right? Um, mm-hmm. Do you believe that your work? specifically for the, the remembrance for the university, for Duke University, do you believe that your work while as a master's student at Duke University is, you know, kind of a, 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 a land acknowledgement in and of itself? Like it's, it's a remembrance document in and of itself. Like, do you see your work in that way? And if so, you know, why, why do you feel that way? If not, why not? Well, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, Cause like I said, it's, 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 the story's finally being contextualized in its right place. Right. I, I feel like, you know, I feel like it's putting it in that ethos in that same realm of, of other uh, Native American boarding schools around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I'm I'm saying, you know, that that's it's no longer this cute story of of just the school being saved. Right. And and really, I mean, and I think one of your questions too was like so about a. The schools you do. I mean, I, I would love, I would love for the school to either a uh, purchase or I'd give them my the uniforms that I that I created and put it put it in that museum they have in the Bryan Center. Okay, you know, I would love for them to do that. And then with a little plaque saying, you know, uh, commemorative, whatever the right word is, um, commemorative or commemorating. There you go. Yeah, the school that I was there. You can can you do me a favor and say that whole phrase. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would love for Duke to take the uniforms that I created and, and put them in that in that museum space in the Bryan Center, so that they can acknowledge and, um, and uh, so that when people visit the school, they can see that there was this there. alumni mm. can see mm. that this was there. So other Native students can see the history that um, you know there, there's there's shoulders that they stand on yeah. where there's people. Uh, pay the way and even even if the first shoulders were forced right. you know what i mean like it's like this right. this thing of um of because because you know the amount of like wealth and opportunity that there is at duke it, it was something that 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 made me shrink back mm. you know made me feel lonely and like i didn't belong mm-hmm. and and when I and I was there, and I was experiencing those feelings. I was like, my kids need to experience this so they know how to navigate these type of spaces, and that they could be successful in them. Right. 
So, so, so when I, so knowing the history, knowing the past, I feel could help those native students know like, Hey, um, other people like you have been here and they've been successful. Mm. Mm. You know, mm. and it, and it, and it goes back to the beginning of the school, the very beginning. Yeah. Literally at the foundation. Yep. So you, you have, you have the road to be successful here. Now you just got to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, you know, there's two things here that I want you to really tease out. What had been your intention had COVID-19 not happened, what had been your intention for your master's thesis exhibition? Where was it going to be? Oh, it was going to be in the middle of the, um, well, the, 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 Brian, the Brian Center, right? Uh, in the middle of the Brian the Center. The Brown Gallery, right? The Brown Gallery, yeah. I was in the display there. And um, yeah. Um, and then and then afterwards, I was going to take it up to Cherokee and, and hopefully... Uh, have it exhibited in their museum and have an artist talk there and bring, bring in some other guest speakers. And, but it just, yeah, COVID just kind of put, put a, the kibosh and all that. Well, I mean, it's, um, it's I, still can happen just post COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I really, well, I really went to was the point of putting in the middle of the Bryan center and also the, the museum's on the Bryan center, right? It's in the library, which is. To, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, about? The Rubenstein library. Rubenstein Library, yeah. Boom, there you go. Keep calling the wrong thing. As you can tell, I spent a lot of time there. Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'm an art student. Anyways, um, uh, so yeah, so I wanted to be in the middle of the Bryan Center because during during that time where the exhibition was going to be, it was also like alumni week. Yeah. And, and, I, and I wanted I wanted alumni and students to be forced by it. Mm. You know, it just, you know, just for a second, just to glance like, oh, there was a boarding school here. Like, oh. You know, I used to look at like, what? What are these uniforms? Like, what? What? Um, mm. You know, what are what are these images? Why are why are there documents on the on the thing? And, you know, right. like, yeah, I just, I, I just, I just, I just wanted that story to be told uh, to them because, because my first, to me, my first audience was to the school. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then as I got deeper, it's like, well, then I'm, I'm, I'm data mining for the Eastern Band Cherokee too. Hmm. Hmm. Because I, I, I still, I want I'm, uh, once everything clears, I'm going to hand them all the documents I have, everything, you know, on a flash drive, whatever, of all the documents I took out of the archive and scan. So, and, um, yeah, and so it's like, those are my two audiences. I, and I really, but I really wanted Duke just to be in your face with it. This is, this is what happened here. Right. And just, to, and also like, you know, my, if, People want to see see my exhibition. Uh, they can go to bishoportega.com and see the photos from it. Um, you know, I took I took twenty uh, headless portraits of the uniforms and put a plaque representing for each kid and their age that was at the school. So in one 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 side of the room, you just you have like a, an alumni wall of of headless portraits mm. and two very you know large portraits. And I just wanted to be in that that space of seeing, like, why, why are there no heads? Like, like what's kind of like what's going on here? And kind of like the erasure, the 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 um, they're not here, but they but they're here. You know, like I wanted to put them back on the Duke wall where they belong. Mm. But I want people to also understand that Duke has erased who they are. You know? Yeah, yeah. So the kind of juxtaposition of these two things. But for me, like, as a point, I I had to put them back on the alumni wall. Like, they're they're alumni. 
and they deserve to be here. Their name has been a plaque, their time here. Like, like uh, the people need to see that they were here. And also, I was speaking to um, photog- you know, the history of photography, where you know white Europeans would take pictures of native native peoples and not put their names yep. to the portrait. So, uh, so I want to see a portrait in her name. You know, so I was speaking to a couple of things there. But yeah, I just mainly was just creating an alumni wall, putting them back on the wall so people could know they were there. Uh, and they're, you know, and, and they're still here. They're in our, they're, they're hidden in our archive. So I'm, I'm pulling them out of the archive, putting them on the wall for everybody to yeah. see so that we, so that we can acknowledge that this happened, that this blip, this five year, uh, you know, event in history happened. You know, as you're talking about the, the reinstating basically of, of who they are and putting them back in their space, um, what, what other things, um, did you uncover that, uh, uh, I'm trying to get this, this question, right. Cause you, you hit on something just a second ago, talking about kind of, um, this, this split between European photographers, not putting names to the people they were taking the photos of. So what other things did you have to go through to figure out the names accordingly? Cause wasn't there a whole ordeal rounding names? <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, because, um, the information is so spread out. Sometimes there was a difference in spelling of the last names. Mm. Um, and then um, sometimes they would just abbreviate the, the first name. So it'd just be mm. the last. So there, so there, so because of the, the different spellings and the abbreviations, there might've been up to 26 to 29 actual Cherokee students here in that five year period. Mm. But it's hard. And then also, um, when I went up, when I went up to Western University, they gave me a a roster of of all the Cherokee students and what and what um what schools they were sent mm-hmm. to. So so it was a it's a huge like like you know flash drive of from you know with the fish you know yeah, the fish yeah, tape yeah, you know yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that somebody you know digitized <laughs> so. Yeah, so I was, I, was, I was comparing those names, trying to figure out what, and then finally I just rested. You know what? I got this original roster. I'm just going to use the 20 on there and how their names are spelled, because that that's what I was originally, originally given. There's even like uh like the school Trinity College would put out their um their yearly catalog. It would list all the students, and then it would have the Trinity College in the back, the in the, the boarding school in the back, and their names, and they change. Mm. spelling and stuff so yeah and also what they call the school changes a lot too yeah <laughs> so yeah and so they they could tell they didn't really know what to make of it like the board the board of of, of trinity and the cravens had two different plans for this mm. and it's and it seems like braxton like, like i said was this kind of this like the slick the slick guy right you know the slick pre, pre con man preacher um was really trying to just pocket money this thing was all about money. Mm. And, um, and then when he dies after like two years, his son takes over. And now it's really just like, it comes to a point where the school's like, Hey, we were getting this, this amount. Now we're getting this, this amount. How come we want all the amount? Like these kids are here. They're under our ward from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. We want all the money. And it caused this huge riff, has a huge fight. The Bureau of Indian Affairs steps in and says, you know what? I'm sick of you guys bickering. Uh, Chief Nimrod wants the boys back anyways. Just get them gone. Get them out of there. In fact, 
get them out of there. We'll even pay for it because you guys, you guys can't seem to stop fighting mm. over this. So that's so that's so that's how the boys go back because they're because they're fighting over the money. Hmm. Yeah, and then yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's been all all about money the whole yep. time. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it is very obvious, and um, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I even found hidden uh, at at the end, like uh, after almost my, my work was complete. I, I found I found correspondence where. The company in Charlotte that made the uniforms originally or made the suits was never paid for them. And, wow. and the, they're, they're suing the school to get their payments like 320 bucks or something, right? Which is a lot back then. And the board tells, tells the company in Charlotte, Oh, don't sue us. Sue the Braxton widow. Wow. So they go after the widow for the money. <laughs> yeah, man. So, so the school was mad about was mad about them being there. They didn't want mm. them there. Mm. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Dude, there's so much here. There's so much here. Um. All right. So I've got a couple more questions, yeah. and we'll wind down. I, I've just been so yeah. grateful to just spend this time with you. One for you to just kind of contextualize a lot of this story of the heritage that you know Duke University sits on, and in you know just space this this community that we're a part of this this uh this committee excuse me that we're a part of really believes in being able to kind of to your point of earlier when you define anti-racist you said we got to acknowledge the history well we very much believe in that as a function so to be able to sit with you for a moment and have you help to contextualize history has just been fantastic um so i'm going to ask you uh, like I said, I got two questions. So the first one is if president price were to call into this recording session now and said, anything you say in the next 15 minutes, Duke will make it a reality. What are you telling him? Mm. Well, I got, well, I'm telling him they need, like I said, uh, need to put those uniforms in their, in their museum, um, and have, and have a real, uh, gathering of the archival information. Uh, also, they need to create a cultural center for the Native American student body. Uh, have a Native American department with with Native American fa- faculty and staff, and give them uh, a, a, a true, uh, give them a real uh, cultural center to to meet and gather to do their ceremonies and sing their songs. Uh, with a, you know, and um, and be like some of the other leading leading universities institutions in this country. Like have a sweat lodge there for them. Uh, go. Go to those schools and see what they're doing right. and do better. Right. What would you ask of the university's alumni and students? How can how can we be fighting for the causes in in remembrance of our indigenous, you know, alums and, and faculty and staff? Yeah, well, people need to talk with NASA and and speak with them and figure out what are what are their needs, what are their concerns, and, and how can we help. Okay. Uh because yeah, because um because they're they're the ones that have put in. Through, I just I just did a, an right. assignment, right? I mean, they're they're, they're doing right. this every day, and they're and they're the ones that are trying to push forward the school. They're the ones that, they're the ones on the front lines. So I would ask them to go to them and say, "How can we help? What do you guys need?" Bishop, what are all the other ways that people can engage with you online? Yeah, uh, my my thesis project is actually on my website. And they can also read my uh, my thesis paper. I don't, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to have it up. Uh, I I 
I wrote I wrote poems too. So because because so much of the story is is like Swiss cheese, you know, from the archive, not so many holes. Uh, I just I wanted to reimagine too what like day to day life was like for these boys, and so I just wrote poems, documentary style poems. I, I took a class with um, with Jackie Shelton Green, the poet laureate of, of North Carolina, and I just went through some ideas with her, and and I wrote. Uh, 20 poems, I believe, and uh, about like day-to-day life, like the boys uh, with their stomachs hurting and looking for food, you know, stuff like that, uh, taking classes, you know, trying to fill those gaps in a way that uh, awesome. that was honorable and respected. The school and what happened, you know, what these boys' time was like. And yeah, so if they want to read those, they want to see the pictures of the exhibit that actually happened at the Power Plant Gallery uh, because, of, because of COVID, they just uh, put a bunch of... Uh, of our ex- exhibitions in the same space. So we do, they can see pictures of that. And they're going to see photos of the sculpture I did. So I, when I went up to speak with the Easter Band Cherokee up in Cherokee, North Carolina, I, I took some, um, some moldings of, of a Easter Band Cherokee man's uh, face and his, his hands and his feet. Uh, because I, 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 I wanted the people see, to see, the uniforms experience them, but I didn't want to put them back on an Easter band Cherokee, if that makes sense. So I was trying to figure out like, how can I do that? How can I do this in a way that honors Easter band Cherokee, but also just, to, just more like puts it in people's faces that this really happened. There's really people in these, people were in these, these uniforms. Um, so I built a sculpture and I, um, and I, I used his hands and then, and I, I put them in the uniform and then I, I, I draped the American flag in one hand and I put the flag at his feet. And then in, the, in his other hand, he was holding hair. And, and when I, when I started, when I started this, this project, I started growing my own hair out. And, and I was looking for a way, or I was looking for, not for a way, but I was looking, I was looking to see how, how was I in this project? Like where, where was my story in this project? And and as we talked about earlier, they would they would shave the hair of these young boys, um, which was a sign of their power, a sign of their their um, and the warrior sign. You know, it was part of the sign of their culture, their belonging. So to remove that, to remove their strength, um, you know, they they would shave. Say they had to put in these uniforms. I I was thinking with, with my hair and showing and showing. It's like he's trading the hair for his flag, but he doesn't know what to do with, with this thing he has in his hand now. Mm. And, and in my, in my own search, my own story, really this project for me and where I'm in it, it's, it's a kind of a catalyst to thinking about my ancestry, whereas my father's side, our, our ancestral land, our ancestral prayers and songs and medicines and people, it, it's been taken from us first by the Spanish when they came and then by the United States, when they did the land grab of Texas, my family has been in Texas for tens of thousands of years. And we don't, we don't know, we don't know what tribe we're from. We don't know our ancestral language or people. They're there, but you know, we've forgotten them. They've forgotten us. We don't, we don't know. So it's kind of like my search for what was taken from me. And, and so my hair is kind of like in there, like, like I'm part of the story too. 
Yeah. So, 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 so they'll see a picture of that. And, and the head, I, I was going to have, uh, the head melt. I, I built this heating mechanism and the mold, I, I filled it with wax of this Easter bag. Today's Mike, Mike's head, <laughs> took Mike's head. And, um, and, uh, anyways, uh, and I, and I put, I made a, a wax mold of it and I had in the center, um, on connect, connected to like a, a wooden rod, the, uh, the water spider, which is central to the Easter Band Cherokee's creation story. And when the head melted and, and went over the uniform, all that was left was going to be that, that water spider. And my, my reasoning was, is like, I, I wanted to destroy the uniform, but not get rid of it because people still needed to see it. Mm. So the covering of the wax was destroying it, but it was also translucent. So you could still see it through. And then also melting away of the whiteness that you could, no matter how much blood quantum or trying to institutionalize and to take away the culture, the native, the Indian was still going to be there at the end, no matter what you did to try to take them away. That you, that you couldn't kill the Indian. And then in the water spider story, the water spider goes across the water to, to, to get the spark, the, 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 I'm sorry, sorry, my, <laughs> Used to mention your friends that I pushed the story, but to, to get the to get the the fire so that they could be warm, that the thunderbolt was 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 hidden in the in, in the tree. So the water spider was the only one that could cross the water, weave a basket, and bring the amber the amber the amber uh, back in her in a basket on her back, and bring it back to the Cherokee. And my I was thinking, this new generation of of kids coming to Duke or other universities are what's going to save and bring the Eastern Band Cherokee now into the future. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the spark, they have the knowledge, they have the fire that's going to bring them going forward. So, but I, I didn't get to do that because of COVID. And um, yeah, but that, that's what, so they'll, they'll see the head of uh, sculpture hands. They'll see the hair and the, the American flag and they'll see the, uh, the, uh, the plaques and they'll see uh, the portraits. And uh, yeah, at bishoportega.com. Twitter, D True Bishop, and Instagram is D True Bishop, D T R U Bishop. I didn't know you were going to do all that, man. That's absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> well, well, I was thinking, I, I would love, I would love to see Durham, um, I don't know, reach out to the Okanichi Band, the supporting nation, um, and and see, you know, do they have do they have a a celebration season or a time or a month that's important to them? And see if there's a way that they could, you know, um, do something in the middle, you know, of Durham, mm-hmm. downtown Durham, or in a park, and make it part of Durham celebration as well to recognize the the, the past right. and the future. You know, the members of the community that that still live in Durham. Um, I would love to see that happen. Artists, art. Um, I know, I know Durham is doing a lot for African-American artists, which is awesome and amazing. I, I, I love to see this and do the same for Native American artists from the area as far as yeah, murals yeah. and um, photography. and Yeah, so their presence can be can be seen and felt. Um, yeah, I would love, love to see that. I love it. I love it. Bishop, you are amazing. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much for joining for this episode of Space of Justice. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to register for Just Space Week, Duke University's conference centered entirely on the conversation of spatial justice happening right now. This year, Just Space Week is focused on anti-racism, equity, and connecting Duke to Durham in meaningful and just collaborations. Head on over to sites.duke.edu backslash justspace backslash conference to sign up today. A special thanks to Bishop Ortega for taking time to talk us through the indigenous origins of the Trinity College Industrial Indian Boarding School and Duke University's need to recognize its past and responsibly act on behalf of its native and indigenous students moving forward. If you'd like to connect with Bishop or find out more about his work, be sure to head on over to www.bishoportega.com or catch him on the gram at dtruebishop. Again, that's at Delta Tango Romeo Uniform Bishop. Today's episode was logistically possible because of the brilliance of Elmer Oriana, Paige Vinson, and Lindsay Miller Farinas. Francesco Santos and Matt Stark are the genius minds behind our assessments and analytics. To the fearless podcast team of editors and collaborators that consist of Samaya Faison, Ling Jin, Ezra Uzan Mason, Brian Lackman, as well as Just Space Conference Chair, who is pulling double duty, Kevin Erickson. Thanks to Marcy Edenfield's crew for making sure our equipment specs are just right. Just Space Conference Marketing is handled by the Illuminist Serenef. Sam Babb's keen eye keeps us all looking perfect and synchronized. Catherine Lester Bacon and Victoria Krebs ensure our online learning design is tight. Jeff Nelson and Gina McCullers are the tireless captain and first mate of the Just Space Committee. Tasha Curry Corcoran is kind enough to ensure that the Office of Student Affairs at Duke University keeps us going one more turn around the sun. Our theme song, Yoriba, is by Lasana Diabete. Engineering and mix of today's episode is by yours truly. As always, be sure to check back every Tuesday for the next episode. A special non-sponsored shout-out to Zencaster for making it possible for our team to do remote recording sessions safely while in an international health crisis. Please, please, please remember to continue to wear a mask and wash your hands. And although the vaccines are here, we are not quite at the finish line. Also, be sure to get all your questions answered so when it's your turn to get the shot, you can. It's been a pleasure to spend some time with you today, and I can't wait to see you next week. As always, I'm Michael Betsecond, and this has been Space of Justice. <laughs>